From time to time, we have other pastors share from the Word of God at Living Truth Christian Fellowship. And today we have the privilege of hearing Pastor Chris Van Hook. Pastor Chris is heard on the Bible Answer Show. He is a great teacher, writes devotions and books. And today he's sharing the message from the Word of God. Here is Pastor Chris Van Hook. Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis 19, verse 6. It says, Lot went out to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, or in some translation it even says, No, my brothers. Don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. All right, I'm going to ask you, is the context clear enough for you? Lot says, don't do this wicked thing. Now, if they just kind of wanted to get to know them, would Lot say, don't do this wicked thing? I don't think so. It's clear that these men wanted to have homosexual relations with these strangers. So let me just say this, because today we have people trying to redefine things. And I want to make this really, really clear. We must let God's Word define what is good and what is evil, not the world. We must let God's Word define what is right and wrong, not the world. And we must let God's Word define what is truth and what is a lie, not the world. We cannot get caught up just because we want to love people, which we do. And we want to see them come to the Lord, but we cannot let the society define what is good or evil, what is right or wrong, and what is truth and what is a lie. We must define it by God's Word. Amen? Amen. Isaiah 5.20 says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe, who, I'm sorry, who substitute darkness for light and light for for darkness. Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. That's happening a lot in our world today. And the Bible made it very clear, and you can look at the reference up there and write it down. If you read 2 Timothy 2.17 and Romans 1, the Bible makes it very clear that in the last days we will have many people calling good evil and evil good. Now, I want to ask you a question, though, because we get accused in the church of picking on the homosexuals. And I hope some of them are listening to this message tonight because we are not picking on the homosexuals. But we will speak the truth of what happened. But I'm going to ask you a question. What if these men had taken Lot up on his offer to take the daughters instead? Would you think of that as less evil? I hope not. And I hope if you would, that you would come in and you would speak with me because I think you need a talking to. 
You see, we're not just picking on one sexual sin. The Bible teaches that any sex outside of the marriage unit, which is between a man and a woman, is sin. Heterosexual, homosexual, it doesn't matter. And God would have condemned the act of taking Lot's daughters just as much as he would have condemned the act of homosexual sex. And we need to make that clear to people. Because we want people to come to Christ and we want them to know the Lord. And we're not picking on any one particular sin. But what this does prove here is that this city was wicked to the core. And Lot, by his compromising, had put himself in a terrible position. In order to keep his reputation as one who honors his guests as was the custom, he was willing to sacrifice his daughters to these wicked men. And I I think, and I'm sure you did too as you read it, how horrible. How horrible. And, and of course, as I was reading it during the week, all I could think about is Corey Nichols up here sharing Sunday morning and what he shared with us. How wicked it can be. And you have to ask yourself the question, why would Lot go this far to protect these men? You know, though this was a custom... Did God instruct him to do that? And, you know, I had a little discussion with uh, Dr. Green and Pastor Michael today because I was looking at this and I was saying, well, what did God instruct? You know what? We don't know. Because God's instructions on how how to treat uh, strangers and aliens didn't come until after the Exodus, in a written form at least. So we don't know what verbal instructions God had given up to this point. Or was this just a man-made tradition? And if it was, isn't it like man to take a tradition and take it to the extreme? And even if God had given instructions on how to treat an alien or stranger, I want to ask a question. Did Lot really think that allowing his daughters to be abused by these men would be a more godly thing than giving up to strangers? Now granted... If we were putting it in baseball terms, Lot was in a pickle. He had placed himself between a rock and a hard place, as we say. And it was due, at least partially, because of his own compromise. He really put himself in a position where there could be no good outcome that he could see. But I want you to notice as well, you never see Lot here crying out to God for help. Little did he know the help was right standing right next to him that he needed. But he wasn't crying out to God. It shows where his relationship with the Lord was. The Bible says Lot was righteous, but I don't think he was close to the Lord at all. So instead, he willingly offers up his daughters. Did you know that there was one more option according to custom? The one more option was as a good host that you would actually fight to the death to protect the people in your home. And Lot could have chosen that option. He could have fought to the death and protect the strangers and his daughters as well. Well, it turns out to be of no consequence because the men don't take him up on the offer. They have in mind what they want to do. Let's go to verse 9. It says, uh, Get out of our way, they replied. And they said, this fellow came here as an alien, that's Lot, and now he wants to play the judge, which he already was doing apparently by sitting in the city gate. We'll treat you worse than them. 
They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Verse 11, Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. Now there's a big, very long point of application that I need to make here. Don't mess with God's holy angels. That's it. That's the big, long application. Don't mess with God's holy angels. So verse 12, the rescue begins. The two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you, get them out of here. Verse 13, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against His people is so great that He has sent us to destroy it. So they're giving Lot the picture of what's going to happen. They're giving him instructions as to what to do. And obviously Lot should know, whoa, I better listen to these guys because look what they just did. A question came to me as I was reading that. I don't know if it did to you or not. If you look back at uh, verse um, 20 of chapter 18, it says, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. And it says here, um, right here in, in uh, verse 13, The outcry to the Lord against His people is so great that He has sent us to destroy the city. And I asked myself the question, where was the outcry coming from? I wonder. Where was the outcry coming from? Obviously, it wasn't coming from these particular men. Um, it wasn't coming from Lot. Who was it coming from? And once again, if you want to know, you need to call tomorrow, the Bible Answer Show, to find out that answer. No, the answer is we don't know for sure. But I thought, could it be the victims of these men who really had taken over the city with their heinous acts? Could it have been the other people? Could it have been the poor and the needy crying out because no one was taking care of them? Or could it be, and this was a thought we had, could it be that it was creation itself groaning the way it teaches us in the New Testament waiting to be delivered? Interesting thought. But the cry went out to God and he was going to do something about it. Verse 14, So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. So I think what we see here is that these daughters, there may have been more daughters we don't know. I tend to believe it was these same daughters um, and they were pledged to be married as it says here. And which means that they hadn't uh, yet uh, consummated the marriage. You guys know the betrothal period is the same as marriage. So by law, they were married and they were sons-in-law, betrothed to the daughters, not having uh, had sexual relations with them yet because that was prohibited until the final time. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. So obviously Lot believed these men. 
he went to the sons-in-law following instructions and says, hey, you got to get out of the city because the Lord's going to destroy it. But look what his sons-in-law say, or look what they think. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. It seems here that Lot, because of his compromise and because of his weak relationship with the Lord, had lost any credibility even with his own family. That they would think that he's not serious and that he's just joking about this situation. Verse 15, With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped, grasped yeah, I can say that word, his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. And you look at this again and you go, Lot did what? He hesitated? What in the world would make him hesitate and not just go? But he hesitated, and the angels had to grab him and lead him out of the city. Verse 17, as soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back. I know you're familiar with this. And don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains, or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, get this, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I will die. And again, is is he afraid of the country? Is he afraid of the mountains? Why? I don't understand. Why is he saying this? Verse 20 says, look, here's a town, rather than in the mountains, here's a town near enough to run to, and it's small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. Come on, Lot. What's it going to take for you to get the picture here? Even at this point, you're not willing to completely trust God and follow the instructions that these angels are given to you? I mean, does he not realize that these angels have been sent specifically to save him from death? And wouldn't he realize, well, if God's going to save me from death, is he going to throw me out in the mountains just to put me in disaster? As he's saying. But before we get too hard on Lot, don't we do this sometimes? Don't we sometimes think, well... God saved me from this one, but then the next time something comes up is, I don't know what I'm going to do. And you're complaining and whining to God, and God's saying, wait, 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 wait. Didn't I work for you last time? Why would I not follow through and work for you again this time? You know, we tend to do that. We tend to think that as soon as God's done something good for us, the next thing is we're going to face disaster. Maybe it's because we all know we deserve it. I don't know. But we do think that way. Verse 21. He said to him, Very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of. Now I look at that and I go, what grace and what patience. 
Because I'm just telling you, it's a good thing that I'm not one of those holy angels. Because I would have said, Lot, I grabbed your hands once, I'm going to grab it again, I'd have taken him right back, sat him down and said, just stay here and get fried, okay? That's what I would have done. I don't know about you guys. Oh man, some of you guys are looking at me like, really? And you're a pastor? Well, I probably wouldn't have done that, but I would have thought it at least. I would have lost patience, but what amazing grace and patience Lot is shown here. Verse 22 says, But flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. So the angels were limited on acting until Lot could get away into safety. And it says, That is why the town was called Zoar. Zoar just means little or insignificant. Verse 23, by the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities, and also the vegetation in the land. Verse 26, the famous verse, but Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And I'm not going to go into all the you know, scientific uh, reasons why we can believe this story. I wouldn't need a scientific reason. The Bible says it, so I know it's true. But there is plenty of science behind it. And you've seen some of the pictures already. Pastor Michael put one of, one of the many ones. They say this is Lot's wife. Um, but that's not the important part. The important part is, again, why would Lot's wife Look back. Now, the word look in Hebrew is nabat. And it means to scan or look intently at by implication to regard with pleasure, favor, or care. Boy, that's, that's the answer to the question, isn't it? See, this was a matter of the heart for Lot's wife. She was looking back longingly at this sinful place that she had lived in. As J. Vernon McGee said, she belonged to the country club. She was probably part of the sewing club. You know, she had immersed herself into this place and she was looking back longingly to the city. It was obvious that she was very comfortable in that environment. Now, some scholars believe that she actually turned back. They say the language means she turned back. And I think there's some evidence that might support that, and that because she turned back, she actually just got caught up in the destruction. Other scholars say, no, this was a direct intervention of God, and he was going to make it happen. We don't know the answer to that, but we do know that her heart was in the wrong place. Verse 27, early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw a dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. Now I want you to put yourself in Abraham's place. Remember, Abraham had, had made this bargain with God that if there were ten righteous people, the city would not be destroyed. Now I personally think that he made the bargain like this for a specific reason. I think he wasn't sure if Lot was a righteous man. And so he at least said, there's got to be ten there. So if there's ten there, 
He might have been thinking maybe somebody other than Lot is righteous there. We don't know that for sure. But it's certainly a possibility. Now Abraham's looking out. And you know, I, I thought of this. I don't know if any of you, I live up by Mountain Gate Park and I have a little deck up there. And when there are fires out in the mountains, you know, I can stand on that deck and oftentimes I can see the smoke and sometimes even the flame. I remember even one time my mom was driving across the 71 and fire broke out on both sides of the hill there. And she was on her cell phone with me and I was standing there watching the smoke from exactly where she was. And what a horrible feeling that was. And I imagine that's how Abraham must have felt. He couldn't have known yet whether Lot was dead or alive. But God was merciful to Lot and Abraham. Verse 29 says, So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, He remembered Abraham. And that's important. He remembered Abraham. And He brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. I think it speaks to God's love for Abraham as well as Lot. Now I think that one of the most overlooked accounts of Lot's life is this, and I'll be honest with you, as many commentaries as I read when I prepare to do a study, not one commentary spoke about this. It's very overlooked. And that is that as we look at the life of Abraham and how he deals with Lot, Abraham becomes a type of God the Father. You say, oh, how's that possible? Well, we're not saying Abraham was a perfect man by any means. We know he made a lot of mistakes. That's not what we're saying. But in the actions he took towards his nephew Lot, he demonstrated the love of God the Father. Look back and think about it. First, he adopted Lot, who was his nephew, when Lot was in need. He was an orphan. He took him in and he treated him like a son, and he loved him dearly. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says this. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Boy, that speaks to what Abraham did for Lot. He was an heir to Lot. Lot took care of him. He adopted him. Ephesians 1, 5, and 6 says this, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. So Abraham is a type of God the Father in this. And then we think about this. Abraham gave Lot everything he needed to be successful. And he gave him everything he needed to follow the Lord. Now it's interesting, in Isaiah 5, God speaks of Israel as a vineyard. And he says to Israel, being represented by this vineyard, he has done everything for the vineyard to help it bear good fruit. And you can look back in that. It's a really great chapter to read. Um, God gave this 
vineyard everything it needed to be successful. But in Isaiah 5, 3 and 4, it says, Judge between me, God, and my vineyard, which is Israel. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? And it's a rhetorical question. It's God saying, I have done everything for you, and yet the, the allegory is that the vineyard produced only sour grapes. Even though God had given it every opportunity to produce great fruit, it only produced sour grapes. Once again, Abraham provided everything Lot needed to be successful, to prosper, and to know the Lord. He must have felt the same way that God did about Israel. His sons-in-laws who thought he was joking, and then we know what happens later with his daughters, but his wife got caught up in the judgment, and we don't know exactly what happened. She may have been swept up in the judgment by trying to turn back or whatever, but but we know ultimately Lot's decisions, um, his wife wasn't strong enough to deal with it. We're not responsible for other people's sins, Coach, but we certainly have a pretty major responsibility as husbands and fathers and as you talk about, Lot kind of, he crossed the line, he towed the line and crossed the line, and ultimately his wife got swept up in it. What would, what would you want to say to maybe the men out there or just our listening audience in terms of, you know, how do I take a gulp <laughs> and make an application there? Yeah, I think Pastor Michael, as you and I often talk about, when we're getting ready to teach something, uh, there's usually one part of it that we always take away for ourselves that affects us greatly. And I think that would be the thing that I would take away as a man, as a husband, as a father, is how much of what we do and who we are affects our family and how we lead our family. Like you said, we're not responsible for their salvation. Each person is responsible for their own salvation. And yet we are held accountable for what happens in our home spiritually, uh, and what does not happen in our home spiritually. And so uh, it, it places a big responsibility on us to continue to walk with the Lord in a very close fashion so that when we lead, I think one of the most interesting, interesting things in the whole chapter is, um, you know, Lot's inability to lead his whole family out. They didn't know whether he was being serious or not. Uh, that says something about what was going on up to that time. Yes, Coach. And, and way earlier, um, when he should have deferred to his uncle, he took a land that looked lush and it had a lot of you know, attractive stuff in terms of the eyes and so forth and prosperity. But in the end, it was a very bad decision for him and his family. And uh, I think that's what you're getting at, that we... We as men, when we're talking about leading, we need to really bathe our decisions in prayer, um, decisions about moves that we make, the motivations behind those moves. Um, is it for the sake of the kingdom of God? Is it for the sake of the best of my family in regard to the kingdom of God? Or is it about material possessions or whatever else you might you know, put on that list? So in the end, folks, we're, we're really talking about taking your faith and making it real in the everyday decisions that you make, where you're going to live, you know, how you're going to serve the Lord. And uh, these are serious things. And, and this is a serious chapter. It's raw, real, and relevant. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. 
Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.